You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. Good morning. And um, it's fantastic to be here. It's fantastic as well. For the first time in a while, we are joined by the wonders of technology by our entire church. And so all seven of our other sites, from Peterhead all the way down to Lawrence Kirk, across to Inverurie and online and so on, uh, there are other sites as well. We're thrilled to have you with us as well. Let's all give them a big cheer. Fantastic. And we're going to open up God's Word together this morning, right at the start of the year. If you've got a Bible with you, now is the moment to produce it. And uh, in a moment, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5. Before we do that, why don't we pray? And Lord Jesus, right at the start of this year, we want to get our lives reoriented to the kingdom of God. We want, we want our perspective to be an eternal perspective we want you to be the king the lord of everything that our life contains and so we pray lord jesus your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and as we open up your word today we pray that by your word and your spirit you would be molding us and shaping us. Come, Lord Jesus, have your way. Amen, 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 amen. Well, um, a while ago, my uncle moved into a new house, and we were excited to see the new house. Uh, and uh, when we, you know, we were, obviously ex- we were excited to see the family and stuff as well. You know, we, we all came together, big family gathering. My uncle was showing off the house. And it was impressive, you know, lovely Victorian brick in a nice crescent with um, uh, gas lamps outside in the road and all that kind of stuff. Like, really beautiful house. The only problem with the house was it, the house next door, which was absolutely falling down. You know, the gutters were, like, drooping down. Some of the windows were smashed. There was, like, the remains of a conservatory that had collapsed on one side. And, and like, so it was a bit awkward. And your uncle, show, showing off his house, is kind of saying, hey, look at my nice house. What do you think? And you, you, what you really want to say is, nice house, shame about next door. But you can't really say that. And uh, so anyway, fast forward, like, maybe a year or something like that. And I don't know whether your family is the same as my family, but the family WhatsApp group, kind of stays quiet for a few months and then suddenly it goes wild and there were loads of messages flying backwards and forwards and that was because my sister-in-law had seen a program on TV called Ugly House to Lovely House and which house should be being featured on Ugly House to Lovely House but the house next door and so you know and they did everything to it they they um they literally gutted the inside they took down all the internal walls on the inside of the house they uh you know re- rearranged it all into a much better layout they made it beautiful on the inside then they put an extension on the back and an extension on the side and they uh, kind of did up the front and everything like that it looked like a totally different house which was brilliant but the problem was then the house next door to it just looked a little bit scruffy. And I don't know whether you know, but there's like a scruffy house in every road. 
And if when you're looking out of your front windows, you can't see that scruffy house, that means that's your house. That's basically the deal. But my point is, like, do, do we not want to be remodeled? Like, reshaped? I don't know about you, but I want to be absolutely transformed by the power of God. Like, if there was one thing that I was just longing for this year, it's that God would move in my life to such a degree as I am changed. Like, I know that there are aspects of my own life, my own heart, my attitudes, my character, my motives, all these kinds of things that have to be changed. And there are so many things about the world around me. I think, oh, Lord, please, would you do something? And so we're just longing for transformation. And the the message that I felt like I wanted to bring this morning at the start of 2024 is, is all about the transforming power of God. Like, what would it take for us as individuals, us as a church, us as a society to be changed? Because that is ultimately what we all want. If Jesus promises us his power, which he does, how would we go about receiving his life-transforming power? You know, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Well, how would we go about receiving that power? And uh, so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 15. It's going to come up on the screen as well. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. He says this, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's our text for today. So if the question is, how would I go about receiving the transforming power of God, then Paul's answer right here to the Ephesian church is this. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And today, I'd like to just take our time together to look at that one specific sentence where the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian church says, be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to look at that in some depth. But before we do that, let's just examine its context. Because you should never just take one verse and just apply that to your life without examining the wider context. And, and, you know, for some people... uh, who are here today or one of our sites, you might be saying, I don't really understand. In churches like this, where we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I thought that when I'd become a Christian, I already was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I don't understand all this language about being filled even more with the Spirit when it seems to me that I already am filled with the Holy Spirit. And in one sense, you're absolutely right. Because before you have Ephesians chapter 5, you have Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul writing to uh, the Ephesians in chapter 1, it's going to come up on the screen, chapter 1, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. 
And so the starting point for our discussion about how do you go about being filled with the Holy Spirit is this. We, when we become Christians, God fills us with his Spirit. He marks us with the presence and power of God. And he gives us like a down payment of his presence and power that when we come to meet God in all eternity, we're going to experience an abundance of his presence and power. We just get a little bit now and there's way more to come later on. And so he's, he's saying to all the Christians in Ephesus, hey, listen, you have received the Holy Spirit. Like when, when you heard the word and it came alive in your heart and you suddenly decided that you believed and you realized that you believed and God brought you to a level of repentance and you repented of your sin and you were born again in that moment. In that moment, your body, your soul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you're absolutely right. You say, I don't understand this. I, I think I already have the Holy Spirit. You absolutely do. You know, some pe- you hear some people talk about spirit-filled Christians as if there was another type of Christian. But there isn't. All Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if I say but at this point, it sounds like I'm crossing out everything I've just said. And so I'll just say and. It said and... Paul writes to them, you know, in chapter 1 he says, you've received the Holy Spirit. In chapter 5 he says... But there's more. Be filled with the Spirit. He's writing to the same people. He's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's always more. That's one of the key kind of uh, themes of the Apostle Paul's writing, is he's always encouraging his friends to reach for more because there always is more available. And so if we were to look just a few verses on from those verses in in chapter 1, we'd come to these other verses in, in chapter 1, verse 17, where he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and understanding so that you may know him better. And then later on in chapter 3, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. There's always more. That's what Paul would say to us. There is always more. And so we should reach for, press in for, long for, be desperate for everything that God is making available to us. And, and, you know, if I could say one thing to our whole church this year, I'd say, let's do that. Let's reach for the more of God. Because not only is there more, but we need more. And, um, you know, as I've found myself saying several times over the last few years, I, I, like, I believe sincerely that this is a great time to be the church. You know, just a f- couple of months ago, was it Rachel Jordan Wolf came to visit us? And, and one of the key things that she was trying to communicate to us, or she did communicate to us so brilliantly, was that there is an enormous openness for the good news of Jesus in our day. Like, you wouldn't necessarily believe that in the papers and so on, in the media. You would expect the church to be dead and, and for no one to have any interest in the church. But that, the, the very reverse is true. There's an increasing openness to the good news of Jesus in this moment. If only we would be bold. If only we would have the courage, the confidence to open our mouths and speak about Jesus wherever we are, wherever the Lord has placed us. And so we need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God more than ever. You know, of course, God has uh, like positioned us so brilliantly as a church. Like, you know, we are a local church to hundreds of thousands of people. 
It's actually amazing if you think about it. Because we've got all these sites scattered all over the place. I don't know. I've never done the maths. But I imagine something like three quarters of the entire population of the northeast of Scotland is within like half an hour's drive of one of our locations. How brilliant is that? How brilliant would it be if we all opened our mouths and shared the good news of Jesus with whoever we met and welcomed them in to our church? And of course, we know that God is calling us to not only focus on the northeast of Scotland, but to continue to plant churches into other parts of Scotland too. And so you begin to ask yourself, like, how is that possible? Like, how is it possible for, for like, thousands of people to come to know Jesus? And if you start asking those kind of questions then you start turning to the scriptures because that is exactly what you see in the scriptures. You know, like 3,000 people becoming Christians here, 5,000 people becoming Christians there, new churches established, churches started in, you know, from Judea, Samaria, uh, to the ends of the earth, all these different places, uh, you know, apostolic delegates being sent off to new towns, new regions, new Roman provinces to start churches and so on, and thousands and thousands of people come, coming to faith. And you start saying, wow, that is what we're longing for in our day. So if that's what we want, like how do you get it? And, and if you start looking at the scriptures, what you realize is, you, you start saying, well, Lord, how did you do all of that with those people? You think about the kinds of people who the disciples were. Broken people, shy people. You, you know, like fishermen and uneducated people. Um, the zealots who are like modern, or, you know, ancient versions of terrorists you say how did you do that with them and the answer of course is God filled them with his spirit Acts chapter 1 verse 8 again but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth and so the we have to receive more of God's presence and power if we're to see God do something in our day. There is always more, and we need the more of God. Okay. And so if, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and there's more. And by goodness, we need all the help that we can get. You know, um, some of you might know, but when I turned 40, which is just a couple of years ago, um, uh, I had a midlife crisis, and uh, I started jogging. I hadn't done any exercise since I left school, and suddenly I was, like, running most days, and, and um, uh, I don't run very fast, and it's not dignified. People say, like, why don't you do, like, one of those park run things? Because I don't want to be seen running by anyone. You know, I, like, my, my dream outcome of a run is that I meet no one. Because that way no one has to see how, you know, like my technique's terrible and, and I look like I'm going to have a coronary. It's like, just not a good look. But just imagine for a moment that I uh, signed up for the Edinburgh Marathon. I'm not going to do that. doesn't matter how much anyone thinks that's a good idea. I'm not going to do it. But just imagine I signed up for the Edinburgh Marathon and Taryn was terribly worried about me. And so she thinks, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to meet him at like different spots along the way. And as I do that, I'm just going to like give him some water and I'm going to encourage him. Come on, Chuck, you can do it. And I'm just going to keep encouraging him. Just keep meeting him along the way. Giving... Isn't that what the Holy Spirit is offering to do? to meet us on the road, to give us the water of life, 
to strengthen us, encouraging, encourage us, embolden us for the journey ahead. That's what you see the Holy Spirit doing throughout the Scriptures, and that's what he's offering to do for us today. And so with all of that kind of foundation work laid, why don't we look at that particular verse where Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not much of a Greek scholar, but the late, great John Stott was. And in his amazing commentary on the book of Ephesians, he says that we can say four things with absolute certainty about that sentence. The first thing is this. It's an imperative mood. Be filled isn't a kind of a tentative proposal or a suggestion or an optional extra or something for the keynotes. Be filled is a command. It's like every single one of you, be filled. It carries exactly the same weight as the sentence before about being drunk. Don't get drunk on wine. Do be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to understand that it's our responsibility. Like We have to take it on board. Say, no, I'm going to do something about this. I am going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. For years on Saturday mornings, my job uh, was to make a full-cooked breakfast. And, and, you know, for years, actually, it was a very polite affair. You know, there was lots of kind of, um, would you like some more toast? Yes, please, Daddy, with chocolate spread, please, Daddy. You know, it was all just very, very uh, polite and well-mannered and all of that stuff. And then as my kids got a bit older and they started to get into the teenage years, you know, for, for a start, breakfast started to edge towards lunch. Uh, and... Secondly, you know, it was, it was less like, yes, please, Daddy, and a bit more like, whatever, you know. Would you like some more toast? Grunt, you know, whatever. And if I'm honest, I think sometimes as Christians, we've become a bit like teenagers when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. Well, whatever. You know, if God wants to fill me with his Spirit, he can. Whatever. I'm not going to do anything about it. But Paul says, no, be filled. Make it your responsibility. Make it your longing, your desperation. Do everything that you can to be filled, to seek out the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I love biographies, especially biographies of uh, great men and women of God who've done incredible things or seen God do incredible things. And, and one of the things that I've noticed is a common pattern People who see, who see God do amazing things in their lifetimes are people who are desperate for more of God. You know, I'm thinking of, for example, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he did it several times to almost no response whatsoever. And he was really disappointed. And so he was like, I'm sure this is better than that, but no one's paying any interest. And so what he did is he took three days out and he prayed and he fasted and he cried out to God. And then God came. And there was this extraordinary outpouring of the Spirit and and you know, ultimately that led to tens of thousands of people coming to faith and a worldwide move of God that became known as the Great Awakening. But where did it start? Three days of just crying out to God on his face. Or John Wesley, the father of the Methodists, he and his brother Charles were on a boat and uh, crossing across the Atlantic and they were caught in a storm and they were absolutely terrified and as they were kind of crying out for their lives, they came across this other group of Christians called the Moravians who seemed to be absolutely perfectly at peace. 
And they were like, how are these people so full of peace when we're just absolutely terrified? And they started to interrogate them and they found out, no, no, these people have an experience of the Holy Spirit that we don't know anything about. And so again, Charles and John Wesley, when they got back to the UK, they met up in London with a group of their friends, New Year's Eve, and they began to cry out to the Lord. New Year's Eve, 1738, three in the morning, the Holy Spirit came. And John Wesley wrote this in his diary. As we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us in so much that many cried out for exceeding joy and many fell to the ground. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And our response should be not like whatever, but I'm going to cry out to God that he would do that in my life. The second thing is, it's, it's, so it's imperative mood. Secondly, it's in passive voice. You know, I don't know whether you've noticed, but there's a trend these days that when you go to a, a restaurant and you ask for a, like a Coke or a Diet Coke or whatever, um, they just bring you an empty glass. And then you have to go along by yourself to the scusha and, and go and give yourself some, some drink. You know, the king of all restaurants, Nando's, does that really, really well. And so, I mean, let, there's, no, there's no argument there, so we'll just move on. But... You know, it's a strange thing. Paul doesn't say, like, fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. Like, go along to some divine tap somewhere and just make it happen for yourself. In fact, the opposite is true. He says, be filled. It's actually something that only God can do. As an activist, I'm so struck by the language of Jesus around this whole thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit because he gives two specific words to the disciples about being filled with the Holy Spirit and those specific words are these wait and stay don't leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The point is God alone can fill us. All we can do is wait. I wonder what you think for those early disciples, what waiting looked like. Did it just look like sitting in the upper room playing Scrabble? Well, actually, no, it didn't, because uh, Luke tells us in the last verse of his gospel, he says, they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, Luke again says that they were in the upper room constantly in prayer. So that's what their waiting looked like. They knew that only God could do it. They knew that they were waiting for God to pour out his spirit onto their lives. But they weren't just like, oh, well, we'll just sit here and play Scrabble. They were like, we're going to praise God. And we're going to pray continually at the temple. We're just going to keep pressing in until God does it. They knew that only God could fill them, and so they were giving God every opportunity to do that. And if I could just add one really practical note as well. As they were waiting, um, or as well as waiting, I've, I've like followed the trail of people being filled with the Holy Spirit all throughout the Scriptures. And there's one thing that is kind of marking so many of those moments. And, and it, it might be an uncomfortable thing for some people to hear, or it's not like what we would prefer, but, but actually the laying on of hands is significant in almost every case. Not in every case, but many of the cases. So Moses lays his hands on Joshua, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Peter and John laid their hands on the Samaritans and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias lays his hands on Saul and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul lays his hands on the Ephesians and they were filled with the Spirit. And so I'm not a rocket science scientist or a heart surgeon, but I, I think I'm bright enough to see that, that maybe we should do that for one another. Why wouldn't we take the opportunity today, the first weekend service of the year, to lay hands on some people and to pray that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to do here and in all of our other sites as well. We're going to ask God to do exactly that. Okay, so it's the passive voice. The next one is it's in the present tense. Now, again, I'm no Greek scholar and we actually have Greek scholars in the room. And so I'm going to like say this uh, with all the authority of John Stott this morning. And say so John Stott says that there are two types of uh, imperative, two types of commands in Greek. One of them is the aorist imperative. The aorist imperative is if I'm commanding you to do something and once you've done it once, you've finished it. So for example, when Jesus sell, se- says to the servants, um, fill these jars with water. Like he's not saying every day fill these jars with water or keep filling these jars with water. He just says fill these jars with water and when, you fill, when you've done that, like you've done it. Job done. That's the aorist imperative. That's not the imperative that's used here of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the present imperative. It's a command to do something always or often or repeatedly. Like this one. Be filled with the Spirit. He's not saying be filled once and that'll do you. He's saying go on repeatedly. If today is called today, then keep being filled with the Holy Spirit again and again. Go on drinking of the Spirit. That's exactly what we see in Peter's life in the, in the book of Acts. You can follow through. He's filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. He's filled with the Spirit twice in Acts chapter 4. And so it goes on. This is a repeated moment. This is, this is something that happens over and over again. There are actually um, two kind of traps that we can fall into when it comes to this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, one of them is what we talked about earlier on, that, that we say, no, 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 I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I became a Christian. And so I've got it all. Like, I've, I'm done. And I love uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher of the last century. Uh, he said, got it all, got it all. Well, where is it then? Which I love that. I love that. Anyway, it's good. So... So the first trap is we look to the past and we say, no, 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 when I became a Christian, I was filled with the Spirit and that was job done. The second trap is that we look not to the moment when we became a Christian, but to some other subsequent moment after I became a Christian. And I say, no, no, I was filled with the Spirit in 1984. That was my moment for being filled with the Holy Spirit. But if... If I find myself, when I think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, primarily looking to something, some event that happened in my past, then I'm missing Paul's point. Because he's talking about a present tense, like today, be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a present experience. I love Bishop David Pitches, who was promoted to glory just a few weeks ago, who's Debbie Wright's dad. Debbie Wright's one of our national directors. Um, he was asked whether he believed in the second blessing. And he said, absolutely, I believe in the second blessing. It comes just after the first blessing and just before the third blessing. It's always for today. And then the last thing is it's in the plural form. Everything that he says here is for the whole group. 
None of us should go out and get drunk on wine. All of us should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually, that's entirely consistent. If you think about the teaching of Scripture all the way through, you know, the Old Testament prophecies, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Acts chapter 2, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. You know, growing up in our house, we, at Christmas time, there was a present for everyone. You know, so the milkman, when he came to knock on the door at Christmas to deliver the milk, uh, there was a present under the tree for him. And the, the, the newspaper boy, who happened to be me, you know, there was a present under the tree for them. And so every passing person, there's like something under the tree for them. And in some ways, that's what we can say about the Holy Spirit. There, there's a gift under the tree for everyone. There's a gift at the foot of the cross for everyone. Forgiveness is for everyone. Mercy is for everyone. The Holy Spirit is for everyone. And so, you know, sometimes in these moments we get really, really insecure and we start to say, well, the Holy Spirit is for everyone else, but not so much for me. Maybe because I, like, I, oh, I, I, like you don't know what I'm really like. If, if you knew what I was really like, then you would understand why God doesn't fill me with his Holy Spirit in the same way that he fills you with his Holy Spirit. That's utter nonsense. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, the Holy Spirit is widely available for all of us. No one comes away from the tree empty-handed. Maybe for some of us it's fear. It's like, I'm not sure I'd like it. You know, I've seen some funny things happen when people get filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, do you know what? Fear is a rubbish reason to do or not do anything. All of them were filled with the Spirit. All of you be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when you put it all together, you get something like this. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to all kinds of problems, ruin your life. Instead, everyone, everyone must take responsibility for their own lives in seeking out and deliberately allowing God to often and frequently, continually fill you with his Holy Spirit. And so if we go back to the question that we asked right at the beginning, which is like, how would I go about receiving God's transforming power? How would I go about seeing my life changed, all of my attitudes, my behaviors, my patterns of thought and, and cycles of behavior? How would I go about seeing God do something in my life? Paul's answer to that is, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to do that in all of our sites in a moment. I'm going to hand back to the site pastors and the, the uh, leaders in the other sites. But let me pray first of all. And Lord Jesus, right at the start of 2024, knowing that our world is crying out for the good news of Jesus, is more open, profoundly open than it's been perhaps in our lifetime, knowing that there are people in our communities, in our lives, who just need to know, who, who are longing to know, who are open to knowing about you, Jesus. We long for the power of God in our lives in a fresh way. We long for the confidence and boldness that comes from the fullness of the Spirit of God. And so, God, by your Spirit, would you fill us afresh. Please, Lord, we make ourselves available We long for it. 
Come, Holy Spirit. Fill Catalyst Vineyard Church with your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to say goodbye to the other sites. Thanks for joining us. The rest of us, we're going to stand.